This is The Common Denominator, and I'm Ilana Rachel Daniel. Welcome to The Common Denominator. I'm Ilana Rachel Daniel. Today we're approaching a topic whose facts are far from just revealed, yet are topping feeds anew because it is in fact that important a part of the story. We're talking about UNRWA, and the vast majority of content we review here today has been tirelessly pursued by several inexhaustible heroes, Hillel Nur of UN Watch for one, and the crystal clear perspectives of Dr. Anat Wilf, whose work we will draw from in this episode. Their prescient insights shouted from rooftops for over a decade are coming home to roost at long last. I'll quote Dr. Wilf here. Contrary to the reigning view, UNRWA and the issue of Palestinian refugees is not marginal to the conflict or one of many important issues. It is the issue. Without it, the conflict cannot be understood. Without addressing it, the conflict cannot be resolved. End quote. Last year, a neighbor gave away a pile of books, and one I read was called Taming of the Jew by Tuvia Tenenbaum. Therein, he makes his way around the UK from bustling London to tiny random islands, several of them destitute, overrun with unemployment and poverty, and in nearly each of these places, he finds to his confusion one stand, office, or another manned by kafia-wearing volunteers with flyers and flags on offer of the plight of the Palestinians and the evils of the nation-state Israel. It brought the success of its global marketing home. Though the reality of living the experience of that in the day-to-day is in the now unfolding. Why? Why has this singular conflict, this painful struggle, be that to take center stage again and again, pushing all others into global corners? Why are people shouting in the streets week after week, assaulting disagreeable passerbys, vandalizing storefronts and national monuments, baying for blood, and yes, genocide, if you remember when the word yet held meeting, over a war, a population, and a region which they know virtually nothing about, particularly the ones who imagine that they do. All the world's outrage saved up for Israel and Gaza, while the same populations, just in different locations, suffer in great droves, yet remain invisible to the world. The legendary characteristics given to this struggle means that it represents something personal to each. It's cliché because it's true. The suffering matters when Israel's involved, for it reaffirms Israel as the poster child of colonialism, the definitive oppressor, the source and supplier of all the world's structural wrongs. This rhetoric has reached decibel unhinged. Israel, you can observe, is only and ever referred to as its nation-state, an all-seeing surveillance state who for hobby or out of wicked inclination takes now and then to crushing the Palestinian who has naught but pebbles to throw back in defense. In the war online, we are assaulted with gruesome photos of the wounded, six-fingered hands and all, in order to trigger an unavoidable, visceral reaction, and the perception, however evidently false, that the Israeli army is at war with Gazan civilians. For never do we see a single scene of Hamas fighting. But then again, 
How could they be distinguished as otherwise in their civilian clothing? The tiresome, two-dimensional falsehoods join with durable medieval blood libels to find ourselves one torch shy of pogrom. The flesh-and-blood people of Israel and our pursuit of self-determination remain entirely invisible to this struggle. It is of some internal debate whether there is anything to be gained by engaging the breathtaking absurdities and legendary evils attributed to Israel. For so perversely inverse is the reality we live to what is said of us. We need not only a new language, but new letters to describe what we see. But our reality comes with objective truths, which do not cease demanding to be called into the chasms of hypocrisy. UNRWA began with good intentions in 1947 as a temporary organization called UNCRA, as it was created to assist in the resettlement of the 2 million Korean refugees at the time, as well as the some 360,000 Arab refugees who would come to take the name Palestinians. The organization was intended to be temporary, as at the time, of course, the majority of refugees were Europeans following World War II. The far greater number of Jewish refugees, you'll note, came from both the war itself as well as those who were ethnically cleansed from the Arab world in revenge for Israel's rebirth, and they were settled by Israel with no international assistance. Those two million Koreans were resettled within some four years' time and with a third of the funding given to UNRWA refugees, and the results can be seen today in a flourishing South Korea. On the other hand, the original 360,000 Arab refugees from the 1948 War of Independence have, contrary to all rudimentary definitions of refugee status, instead grown into a staggering population of 5.8 million. UNHCR is the single UN organization under whom all the world's multiple millions of refugees must apply in order to receive refugee status. It alone serves 13 times the number of refugees of UNRWA, with half the number of staff, and where each UNHCR refugee receives half that of UNRWA's. The many refugees of UNHCR do not get t-shirts and organize marches each week or death threats on their behalf to speakers, venues, and myriad institutions. The goal of UNHCR is to see their numbers of refugees steadily diminish as they settle into new lives just as 22,000 people were in the year 2020 alone. In stark contrast, UNRWA's goal is the opposite, and they have redefined the meaning of refugee in order to maintain and grow their numbers. UNRWA newly defined all those who are the descendants of Palestinian refugee males to be refugees, and that includes children those men might adopt at a future date. For the first time ever, refugee status would move from a physical reality to a conceptional one. In a further rigged game, there is no need for those descendants to even apply for their refugee status, for it's given automatically at birth and remains even if another citizenship is granted. The UN recognizes them as registered refugees, And that distinction clarifies the unprecedented and unparalleled scam taking place. Understand, 
even if they have a state of their own. As long as there is a state of Israel, they will still be considered refugees. From the outset, Arab refugees refused to be settled, their reasoning being that resettling would be an admission of the existence of the state of Israel. And to this day, not one single refugee, registered or otherwise, from UNRWA has been officially resettled. Not one. By the 1960s, UNRWA's failure as a refugee agency was obvious, and the West made moves to shut it down. But the Arab world protested. You made a grave mistake partitioning Israel, they wagged their finger. You will not make another by closing down UNRWA. The US, UK, and co. capitulated, for though the agency's failure was clear, they figured the money the West would continue to pay into UNRWA was worth placating the Arabs and accessing their oil. They did not foresee the damage it would do. UNRWA employs 13,000 Gazans and receives 1.2 billion U.S. dollars a year, if not more, funded primarily by the U.S. and EU, 67 donor countries, and 33 NGOs. UNRWA declares itself a direct service provider, whose role is to offer essential education, health services, and welfare, though aid distribution is neither its role or expertise, like is the World Food Program, or any number of organizations which ought instead be employed to insist the needs of the people. Understand that what that translates to on the ground is while UNRWA busies itself with the daily grind of caring for Palestinian civilian needs in lieu of its government, Hamas, Hamas, the elected government since 2006, is freed up entirely to continue its founding mission, to create terror in pursuit of the destruction of the Jewish state. What that does is essentially make Gaza perhaps the largest open-air military base for terror against Israel. Living solely on handouts for decades is one way to cripple a people, creating a tragic cycle of misery, infantilizing generations as created to do little more but kill and be killed. Consider the many billions of dollars soaked into Gaza and the breathtaking scale of thievery that's occurred. Consider Hamas's three leaders, Ismail Haniya, Musa Abu Marzik, and Khalid Mashah living in luxury in Qatar. They alone have a combined wealth of $11 billion dollars between them. It boggles the mind. This extraordinary wealth to three private individuals, leaders of a sworn terrorist organization, and that's even before the funding needed to create an infrastructure of terror never before seen in a feat of 500 kilometers of tunnels, twice the size of the London Underground. Consider what might have been built instead with even a fraction of those funds. Not a dime is given to the civilian population of Gaza because their suffering is essential to sharpen the pointed finger accusing Israel. We asked last week, qui bono, who benefits? The UN and UNRWA are first and foremost to make vast quantities of wealth from the chaos, and perpetuation of the conflict is its entire reason for being. It keeps the vitality and potential of what Israel could and should be under noose while the show goes on 
and on. As the powers that be pull strings, more than what is intended comes to the surface. And the massacre of October 7th revealed to the world the lack of distinction between Hamas and UNRWA, for they are one. At least 12 UN employees were caught participating in the torture, rape, and murder of Israeli families. And come to find out some 10% or 1,200 UNRWA employees are directly connected to Hamas or Islamic Jihad. An Israeli intelligence report further alleges that UNRWA employees have been allowing Hamas to store weapons in UNRWA schools, allowing Hamas to build tunnels beneath UNRWA schools, as well as the accusation of at least one released hostage who said he'd been held in the home of an UNRWA employee, and the kidnapping of an Israeli woman. As a result, at long last, 15 countries so far have suspended funding to UNRWA, including Austria, Estonia, Finland, Germany, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Netherlands, Romania, Sweden, USA, Iceland, UK, Japan, and Australia. On the other hand, a Norwegian MP nominated UNRWA for a Nobel Peace Prize. Truly, we live on the same blue planet, light years apart. It is my personal opinion UNRWA's gravest crime stems from the education it provides young Gazan children. The education they are given is in fact an indoctrination factory of hate, which has destroyed the minds of generations of those registered refugees and tells them the tale that all their suffering is because of Israel and their only recourse is violence. This has been documented in overwhelming evidence. Watching any of the dozens of clips of children promising to grow up to kill and maim is truly one of the most demoralizing things you will witness. The results of October 7th have made it plain. So too the Munich massacre and the odd 2,200 terror attacks made on Israeli citizens since just 2015. Their perpetrators are the alumni of UNRWA education. 58% of UNRWA funding goes to education, which ensures there's always more soldiers to sacrifice. Those who have succeeded to die in suicidal pursuit of mass murder are glorified at home and in public as martyrs, made into posters, idols, and street names. We've discussed mass and ritualized child abuse rings on the Jerusalem Report, And the experience of discovering the scale at which child abuse occurs is the same as seeing the testimony from the mouths of these children. Brazenly perverse child abuse, as deeply horrifying as those of mass child slaveries. I have defined the experience of childhood as freedom from knowledge of the world of sexuality and violence. The abuses we discussed in those Jerusalem reports, whose topics later became a blockbuster film, focused on the sexual slavery of our unsullied and vulnerable future. Here, it is partnered with the violent abuse of children who are nursed, quite literally nourished on hate, murder, and destruction. It leaves the same pit in your guts. It is for this I say without hesitation, those claiming to rally in the streets for the lives of these same children is a bald-faced lie, for they are saturated in a living violence of body and mind from which they cannot escape. 
and no one comes to protect them from it. The Amalek we refer to, those comprised of an evil who believes there is one God, but seek to dethrone him, can be identified in their repeated and deliberate targeting of children. Those who pride themselves on their red pill awakenings have not yet tuned into the institutional nature that is the vilification of Israel. While vast swaths of the world bay for Jewish, I mean Zionist, blood, and imagine it thoroughly rebellious and anti-establishment, do in fact, as did generations before them, follow the herd led by the same rotten institution their prior social media post just reproached. Teitelbaum met with kafias and flags in remote Scotland and Wales because the UN can reach everywhere. And Israel always serves to catch people's attention. That is its most enduring value. You don't get a worldwide clamor unless it's an agenda. Period. When they come for the Jews, it signals a Western civilization in danger. This has been history's repeated lesson. Our Western civilization is imperfect and forever in process, and we should never have been sold it as a done deal. The freedoms it represents are under existential attack from enemies within and from without. So too is the human empathy which defines us. In research for her book, The War of Return, Dr. Wilf discovered a quote no more definitive than this, and she describes it thus. In February of 1947, when there was no state of Israel, there were no refugees, there was no occupation, and there were no settlements. None of the things we're told are the reason for all our problems. British Foreign Minister Ernest Bevan, no friend of Israel, came to the conclusion that the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs is irreconcilable. And he explained to the British public why. Saying both of the groups has a singular top priority. For the Jews, their priority is to have a state. And for the Arabs, their priority is for the Jews not to have a state. It is the reason all attempts at peace have been denied and what the Palestinians, to their credit, have been saying clearly and consistently for a hundred years. Dissolving UNRWA is a vital step towards uprooting the long-held delusion that the Jews have no historical connection to the land and that one day they will also have no state there. It is a delusion that has sustained generation after generation of trained murderers and has devastated the lives of the Palestinian people every bit as much as the Israelis. It is our opportunity, if not obligation, to step out from the loop of history. We'll see you next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Jerusalem time, on The Common Denominator. <laughs>